Austin, do you remember how long it took me to find a podcast platform for us? Forever. I ended up finding one called Anchor, and I initially chose it just because it was free. But it also has a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. They also distributed for us, so that's why we ended up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of our other places. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Everything you need to make a podcast in just one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. I'm Austin. We are a podcast where we explore things that we either mislearned, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn at all when we were in school. Yes, and we're also going to talk for a minute about the awesome Halloween baking shows we've been watching because (laughs) it's November and we cannot let go of Halloween. Well, since we didn't have any trick-or-treaters, we've had so much leftover candy. Oh my god, you've been like, it's been packed in my lunches. It's like breakfast, lunch, dinner, candy. I've actually been getting really sick, like getting bad headaches and generally feeling cruddy. It's probably because of all the poison. It must be. It must be that all of the candy is poisoned. However, that would mean that your neighbors aren't the one poisoning your candy. It's the candy companies. (gasps) Just like they thought in the early 1900s when they were probably putting lead paint in the candy. They weren't putting anything in the candy. It was just the poorly made machinery of the time. But we've been pretty boring this week. My newer job and a freelance gig started the same week by pure coincidence. And the freelance gig wrapped up this week. So for the first time Ever this coming week, I get to experience what a 40-hour work week feels like. It's wonderful. Cannot recommend it enough. And of course, um, this week, and of course this week, I have been reading a wonderful book. Uh, it's by Chuck Tingle, and it's called The Space Raptor Butt Trilogy. We are not going to talk about that. We should talk about it, because it was nominated for a Hugo Award. Which is baffling to me. It's the, it's, I actually am not recommending it. It's awful. It's space dinosaur gay erotica that is written at about a third grade reading level. If that, the grammar and punctuation are so bad. It's like, it's bad enough that it's not even really funny. But this made me think, I bet we could write our own erotica using historical figures like the ones we use in this podcast. No. Uh, Plenty the Younger cures a woman's headache through the powers of sexual healing. No. Dude! You're no fun. I'm really not. Yeah. I've got that remaining teacher brain and I have to, I have to shut this down. But come on, they would never teach you about that in school. With good reason! Yeah, um, also, kids, don't do a book report on the Space Raptor Butt Trilogy. You will fail. Although, when I was in freshman English class, she had us do this comparison report between a piece of what she said was literature and a piece of what she said would be trash. We got to pick our own trash book. And then the literature we read was West with the Night, which was about this woman named Beryl Markham. And I loved this teacher. And I actually love the concept of this assignment. But the problem was that West with the Night is nonfiction, and obviously the trash book was fiction. And West with the Night, I remember it being almost completely unreadable. (laughs) And when she, like, tried to get our class to grasp why this was, that was better than the trash book we read, the problem was none of us had liked West with the Night. Oh, no. Now, I used to be an English teacher, and I actually incorporated this idea into my lessons. Um, what makes a book good versus what makes a book great. It's not the same thing. We learn these books that kids don't necessarily like, not because we want them to hate English class, not because we think they'll really love this book, but because the book is important. And so I would usually have them wrap up the assignments, uh, the reading assignments with, did you enjoy this book? Why or why not? Followed by what makes this book worth reading? And even the kids who were like, I absolutely hated this book. This is the worst thing I've ever read. We're usually able to identify why we read it and why people should read it, even if they wouldn't recommend it as like, let's read this for fun. Yeah. So 
it wasn't an assignment that worked especially well in the moment, but you know, I remembered it, what, 18 years later or something, and it integrated into my classroom. So teachers, even if something may not go the way you expect it to, it can actually have really positive effects. So who gets to go first this week? Uh, last week we did Dolly Madison and we did Rolo and Rolo was first. Okay. So I'm first this time. You're first this time. I'm going to be talking about Tichaba, who you <gasps> probably remember from The Crucible. Arth oh my God. We were just talking about Arthur Miller's ghost haunting dead salesmen. Yeah, actually we were. <laughs> this is your fault. We should just record everything we say because the things we say off the podcast are, if nothing else, more bizarre. But they're also far more incriminating. <laughs> That's true. Don't bug our house. And if, I guess, NSA guy who already is bugging our house, we're sorry. <laughs> so in high school, I read The Crucible. I assume you did, too. Yes. And I loved it. A lot of people I know don't. A lot of students especially don't enjoy that play. It wasn't really about the Salem witch trials, but the whole blacklisting communism thing that I'm going to cover a different time because I'm really fascinated by it. But it actually did use historical figures taking a lot of liberties, as you might expect. Tichaba is one of the characters in the story and a pretty important one. Honestly, I haven't read The Crucible since I was 15 or 16, which was when it was assigned to us, even though I enjoyed it. I... And I know I shouldn't say this to, I, I sure hope my students aren't listening, my former students. I don't read plays for fun. I know, I just, I can't get into it very much. I've sat and read a couple for fun, like I read Equus. So I haven't read The Crucible since and no place really put it on since. So I've never, I don't think I've seen it. But what I remember is that we listened to a recording of one of Tichaba's parts. And I remember it being read kind of as a minstrel kind of speaking. Oh. And in the play, she is referred to as a, quote, Negro slave. In actuality, Tichba didn't speak English as a first language, but she was fairly eloquent. And she also likely wasn't African-American, African at all, and possibly not even Black. Really? That doesn't change the fact that she was a slave. Oh, that's right, because they still have the, like, in the indentured, indentured people. No, not indentured. Full-blown slave. Oh, wow. Did she, not learn about that. No. Uh, she was likely born in what is now Venezuela and was a member of an Arawak-speaking tribe. So the equivalent of, the South American equivalent of our Native Americans. And then she was kidnapped along, likely, with her husband, John, who ended up staying with her. And taken to Barbados to work as slaves because of there wasn't enough labor in Barbados. Oh, yeah. There was the sugar plantations in the Caribbean were like death mills of just unimaginable portion that we do not learn about. They were brought there and then ultimately they were bought by the Reverend Samuel Paris and brought to Massachusetts in 1680. In the play, of course, Paris is still her owner. And I don't remember him a whole heck of a lot from the play. But I have a feeling he was not as bad in the play as he turns out to be in real life. So obviously, in her white Puritan town of Salem, Massachusetts, she is obviously seen as other immediately. She brought with her not just her darker skin color, but the beliefs and the culture she had lived in, both in South America and in Barbados. There are some who say she might have been born in Barbados, too. So she was seen as a threat to the Puritans immediately. She must be into stuff that we're not into. She must be here to bring sin, blah, blah, blah. Despite all of that, she stayed in the house with this family. She prayed with them every day. She ate dinner with his daughter, Betty, and any other kids that were in the house and likely shared the same bedroom as the children. So she was trusted enough to be around the kids literally all day and all night. So at the time, it kind of sounds like the Parises treated her, I mean, as well as any slaves could be treated, which still is not that great because no. you don't own people. It's just not okay. In 1692, Betty Paris, who was nine years old at the time, and her cousin Abigail, who was 11, began to have fits, which we most likely would call seizures today. The doctor, William Griggs, came in, decided, I don't know what this is. Much be witchcraft. 
it wasn't witchcraft, but that's what he decided it was. Most likely, it was contaminated rye bread making them sick. That's what some that's what some cases have said. Oh god, what's oh? It's like some weird fungus that grows in rye when it's moist, and oh, it's I can't remember what it's called. It's bad. you just said moist. We lost half of our listeners. We did. I'm, I apologize for saying the the M word. I will fucking do it again. Although we had a conversation about that just this morning because the word doesn't bother me. Is it the oist sound? Is it the meaning? Because hoist and joist don't seem to bother people. No. Just let us know. Why yeah. Why does this word bother people? Although I have a couple of words that bother me, but yeah. I won't get into those because that will start a bigger debate. Contrary to what we were taught in school, Salem did not host the first or the last witch hunts in American history, nor did a Salem host the first or the last ones in the world. They were happening all throughout the colonies up until this point. Salem, in some ways, was actually a little late to the party. But before this even happened, before Tichuba even got involved, they were kind of starting to look for it a little bit because it was the popular thing to do. And by the end of all of it, they will have accused around 200 people and killing around 19 of them, which is the largest which is why we learn about it. But if you look at some of the other ones, it's just freaking fascinating, the stuff that they did, the way they did things. Ugh. So court records say that when the girls became sick, Tichaba and her husband, John, helped their Mary, neighbor, Mary Sibley, make a witch cake. This cake was made from rye oh. and the girls' urine, which they fed to a dog in hopes that it would give them the name of the witch that caused this. Pliny? <laughs> yeah, they weren't just doing whatever religious belief she had. Pliny the Elder wrote this kind of stuff down. Yeah. This is all really good wisdom from Pliny. The best wisdom. <laughs> she admitted to this, but the reason for this is to find out who was doing this to the girls. Meaning that her goal was to help the girls, not to hurt the girls. There were rumors, of course, or at least rumors now, that she was already practicing voodoo and fortune telling and magic. That none of that's in the court records. So if that was happening, it somehow You just had to buy her that new toy. If you can hear that noise, I'm sorry. I got my cat a toy that that tweets like a bird and says it went off, but I think we're gonna have our first uh, introduction to one of the girls today. Yep. Wait, no, no that's Fezzik. It's just Fezzik back. <laughs> So her goal here was to try to help the girls. She really did love these girls. In addition to being sick, the girls were claiming that they were being pinched and hit and abused by people they couldn't really see. And the girls kept getting worse. And ultimately, the girls said that it was Tichaba and two white women named Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne who were doing this to them. God damn it, Sarahs. Sarah Good was poor in comparison to her neighbors. And they decided she must be jealous of all of them, and that's why she would hurt people. She was an easy target because of her poverty. Even her husband got on board with this and was like, oh yeah, kill her, because, you know. Then there was Sarah Osborne, who was on the same socioeconomic level as everybody, but hadn't attended church in three years because she was really, really sick. And she was in a legal fight with another one of the families. Ah, there's the other shoe. <laughs> Now, some of the articles I read, and I read a lot. That's why I haven't sourced this, because I had to skip back and forth between a bunch. Some say at least one woman was elderly and the other was mentally ill, and they switched them back and forth. To clarify, though, Sarah Good was likely about 39, and Sarah Osborne about 49 when they were... Sarah Good was executed. Sarah Osborne died in prison, I believe. Now, that sounds young, but in the early colony of Virginia, which was before this, they had a life expectancy of 25 at most. And 17th century New England saw only 60% of people survive childhood. So I guess they were old. Wow. The three of them, Tichaba, Sarah, and Sarah, were put in jails, not in Salem, but in Boston. Tichaba was the first one to be accused. And then the Sarahs were jumped onto it, and they were put in jail in a place that was not Salem, which they never talked about in school. It was only Salem. Okay. You've lived up there. How far from Salem is Boston? If I remember right, it's about an hour and a half by train, not subway, but actual train. Okay. Uh, so it's not a, it's a day trip. You can, you can go out really early in the morning, come back in the evening if you want to, but you can't get there and it's better to stay the night, which I never okay. got to. I always wanted to, but I went up there for a day, I think once. Okay. 
And I wanted, like, I wanted to live there. I was actually looking at schools in Salem, Massachusetts to teach, and it's so beautiful mm-hmm. and so expensive. And side note, how accurate is the movie Hocus Pocus? Oh, exactly what happens in real life. That's, okay. That's just Salem all the time. There are these three witches running around and trying to get children to come to them and suck their souls out or something. Yeah, it's and, been a bit. And also, um, despite having been dead for 200 years, they know a perfect put a spell on you routine that they can perform together with dances and they know the entire song. Although one cool thing about that movie, I just recommend listening to this podcast called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. They interview a guy in it who played Billy, the kind of zombie guy in that movie. And he talks about how they did the moths that come out of his mouth. He was also the lead gentleman in Buffy, which is why he's on this podcast. Anyway, both Sarah's maintained their innocence until the very end. They always said that they had nothing to do with this. They weren't witches, etc. However, Tichaba. Tichaba was a genius. Initially, she said that she had nothing to do with any of this, but then realized that there was more of a benefit to admitting to it. Go on. She knew that because she was already an other, she was more likely to be executed than these other people were. And she also knew from living in these Puritans' homes and community for so long that they hated sinners and they hated liars. But they really believed that if you repented, you deserve to be saved. And you would be saved. So she lied to give them what they wanted as the truth. (gasps) She would ultimately say that she also admitted to all of it because Samuel Parris started to beat her regularly to get her to admit to all of it. And it's also speculated that she didn't believe in hell in the first place, so she wasn't afraid to go there. But at the end of the day, it really is likely because she understood the inner workings of the society because people would talk around her, not really understanding that this is a human being who can hear and understand what you're saying. So she understood how their minds worked. (laughs) Under the interrogation of Justice Hawthorne, she said that she didn't want to hurt the children, but the devil did. So the devil comes to her and asks her to serve him. She stated that the Sarahs were both involved with the actual injuring of the girls, along with two other women and a man. She said that the five actual people, so originally she said she wasn't involved, came after her and said they would hurt her if she did not agree to hurt the children. So that's how she got involved. She also said that animals would come to her, evil ones, like pigs and dogs and different colored birds that the Puritans believed were symbols of evil. Wait, 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 wait. Different colored birds. Yeah, I think there's something about red birds and yellow birds, maybe. Puritans. Of course, like, I'm complaining about the different colored birds when all of this is batshit crazy, but I feel like the different colored birds is just the straw that is breaking my mind. Well, apparently the Sarahs could both turn into winged creatures. Maybe they were the different colored birds. And there was a big, like, wolfman thing or Bigfoot or something, too. (gasps) Skunk ape. Mothman. Straight up, I don't know what Mothman is supposed to look like or be. But we still both believe in him. Yes. (laughs) He's saying that he's trying to sound like he's being sarcastic, but we've had conversations about this. (laughs) It's my faith in Mothman is unbreakable, even though I do not understand him nor what his true form is. Hey, but we don't believe in lizard people, so we're doing okay. We do not believe in lizard people. Although if there are lizard people, they are Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Shit, but what if Mothman's a lizard person? Because we don't know what he looks like. He's not a lizard person. He looks like a giant bat man. Not Batman. (gasps) Bat Space, although I guess he was originally the Batman, wasn't he? Or was it the Spider Batman? You know these comic books? I just sold a bunch yeah, of them. Um, sp- it's Spider Hyphen Man. I think Batman's just a hyphen, just a compound word. Wasn't he originally the Batman? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, she also said that a tall man with white hair came from Boston and formed her, forced her to sign the Devil's Book. Ted Danson. Yes, Ted Danson came in from Boston. And told her she had to sign the devil's book. That's why he's in the bad place. And she admitted she had attacked several other young girls as well. And would fly through the night on sticks with both of the Sarahs. (laughs) So she's pulling in all of these different mythologies that she knew the Puritans believed in. Brilliant. Yeah. In saying that there are many others, she put suspicion onto the larger population. So they start to worry more about the people that they frankly view as people than the what person that they didn't because if quote unquote real people 
could be involved with this, that was the bigger threat. So smart. I mean, I'm not too keen on the fact that she's the one who ultimately started the snowball of everybody getting accused of witchcraft. But as a Slytherin, I have to respect it. As a Slytherin, you could just cast that one hex that makes flames feel like they're tickling you. However, they kept pushing her to add more names, and she said that the devil wouldn't give them all to her yet. <laughs> and if they pushed too hard, she would pretend to go blind. So she kept saying, the devil will tell me. He will. He just hasn't done it yet, which meant they couldn't execute her even if she was convicted because she would have more names. <laughs> and an especially smart move, though, she also played in to the sexism and view of slaves at the time, saying that, as we all know from the Bible, women are more likely to sin than men are. They aren't <gasps> as strong as men. And that since she was a slave, she only knew how to serve, and Satan told her she had to serve. She did try to resist him, again, bringing stuff in from scripture about the devil and how you resist him and etc. But at the end of the day, he said she, he would hurt her and that she had to, so she did because she didn't know how else to live. And bringing up that scripture is very smart, too, because even though it's almost completely 100% positive that she did not practice Christianity... She had learned enough, despite not speaking English as a first language and almost definitely not being, not being literate, she picked up most of the Bible to know how to use it against them. She also apologized for her part in everything, saying that she didn't want to hurt anybody, especially little Betty, the daughter of the family. And I really do believe that she wanted only good things for that kid. She really did love that yeah. kid. She said that she repented honestly and truly and all of that. So the Puritans couldn't, couldn't execute her because she had repented. <laughs> However, before the end of the trial, so she's still in jail. She has not reached her actual, like, final trial yet. She recants everything. She says that she lied to protect herself. She tells them about how Samuel Paris was beating her. Only one person wrote this down. And no one paid any attention to it. Because a lot of other people have already done it. The witch trial fever was completely swept up already, and one slave recounting every, recanting everything was not of interest anymore. So that never made its way to people of import. <laughs> and then in either 1692 or 1693, a grand jury in, in Ipswich refused to indict her, saying there was a lack of evidence. They also wrote down that she was an ignoramus. No. Meaning either ignorant or stupid. I looked it up to make sure I... I mean, I know what the word means. I wanted to see if it meant something different back then. It didn't. Not kind, but it probably helped save her that they thought she couldn't have been smart enough to do this. And that Puritan belief in repentance meant that they could not justify executing her. Because that would go against their own beliefs. They could, they could justify <laughs> executing all of these other people. You know, hanging and drowning and burying under stones, all of these people. But if they had just said they were sorry, <laughs> they may not have done it. And that's just horrible. However, she remained in jail because Samuel Paris refused to pay the fees to get her out. Oh. Nice guy. Puritans. She ended up being sold to someone else, likely along with her husband, because there is no record of them after this. It seems likely they took her far away from Salem because unlike the white women who were reprieved, she was less likely to be able to integrate back into society. She was more physically recognizable, of course, and already being the other, they always be, it's that woman who was the first one accused. It's that woman. We have to watch her. She's a slave. We can't trust her at all. In The Crucible, we also don't find out what happened to her, but it's left more as a, does she get executed or does she not? Where in real life, we know what happened to her in terms of that. We just don't know what happened afterwards. Yeah. So as a literary device, it works really well because it leaves up that ambiguity about, you know, it didn't matter if these women were actually witches or not. But in real life, we don't know. We don't yeah. know what happened. We don't know if she has descendants now. We don't know. Although in American Horror Story Coven, the character of Queenie says she's one of her descendants, huh. which kind of goes against the whole... It was probably all made up that she was a witch thing. But, I mean, that's that's Ryan Murphy. I mean, we can safely ignore him. <laughs> all right, are you ready for questions? I am ready for some questions. Okay, these are questions about whether or not these things would be on a test, not whether, not what the answers are. Will the fact that Tichaba was ultimately cleared of her charges be on a test? 
Yes. Well, the fact that the Salem witch trials did not only involve people or prisons or locations in Salem beyond the test. No, because that gets into like regional geography and that just gets really confusing. And then here's the big one. I'm curious to see what you say. All right. Will the fact that Tichuba was a slave who was not African be on the test? Oh, that is a tough one. Man, I'm going to say no because that just opens up another entire can of worms. I'm like, it's like we're doing this, I'm assuming, as a part of English class because it's the crucible. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. If you're talking about the Salem witch trials in general or slavery in general. Yeah. That would be a general question, I think. It's, yeah. Did you ever learn that there nope. were people who weren't from Africa? I never learned that. This like this is the first time hearing of it as an adult. Yeah, we we didn't learn a lot about this kind of stuff. Like all slaves were brought in from Africa and we don't learn about really the involvement of the Caribbean. We don't learn about how apparently, you know, native peoples were also enslaved. And I'm sure it happened beyond this. Yeah. We don't, I don't know if it's an overcomplicating thing. I don't know if it's a statistics thing. Or a just like, this is already awful enough. Let's just not make it more awful. That's, I don't think it can get more that, awful. No. Slavery is, Slavery is no matter really how you bad. slice it. <laughs> but that's, a, that's the story of Tichaba. There's a, so little on her, but what there is, is just fascinating. And, and Okay, the entire time I've been trying to think about The Crucible and what I remember from that, and I've realized that I read that at the same time, I read The Crucible at about the same time as I read The Scarlet Letter, and they have become intermingled in my brain, and I cannot tell them apart anymore. Yeah, those were sophomore English class books. Yeah, you should split The Crucible and The Scarlet Letter up by like a year, maybe, because I was trying to figure out what Hester Prim had to do with witches. All right, before we get started on Austin's, we have to play HQ, so give us one second. And we're back. We're millionaires now. Millionaires. Entire sense. I didn't get out on question four. Yes, because the park that had the big arch in it was arches. It had red rocks, too. But there was an arch. But hey, we both knew what river made the Grand Canyon. Yep. We've both been there and had very different experiences. Yeah. I had a cool, I was, okay, I was six or seven. I had a cooler of what had had ice in it when the train stopped, flip over and dump what was now all frigid water on top of my head. And you know how I don't like surprises, being wet or being cold. I was not predisposed to enjoy the Grand Canyon after that. <laughs> that was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. I'd love to go back someday. We can go back. You just have to be really nice to me. We're never going to go back. <laughs> okay, so who are you or what are you talking about Well, today? actually, we had, we had our first recommendation from uh, at, plenty at Shit Pliny Says. Yeah, after our first episode... I decided to see if Pliny the Elder was on Twitter, and he is at Shit Pliny Says, and he's fantastic. He is wonderful. He cracks me up. And he recommended that I do Radium Girls, which is something I kind of hinted at in the Marie Curie episode. So I'm kind of continuing with that. And this is a little bit different because it's not exactly unknown anymore because there's a best-selling book about them. It's unknown to me. Unknown to you? Well, there's a best-selling book, which is what I did most of my research from. It was Radium Girls by Kate Moore. So, class, everybody quiet down. Austin's going to give us his book report now. Okay, so I read Radium Girls by Kate Moore. It was awesome. Okay, actually, no, it was, it was, it actually was a really good book. What it did, because there had been some stuff written about it before, but it was mostly focusing on the doctors and lawyers, you know, these brave men that helped these poor, abused women. But this book, what it does differently is it talks about the personal lives of these women, their struggles, what their life was like. Because these were young women who had this like job in their teens and died in their 20s and 30s. So these were very young women. You're going to talk about what they did and stuff as a job because I really know Oh yeah, we're going to go into it. If you love like courtroom dramas, this is great because there's a lot of it. And it's all well written. You know, there's lots of back and forth, lots of great evidence, lots of dirty tricks being played. And also it really does humanize the victims of this like industrial poisoning. So great book. I recommend Radium Girls. 
let's do a little quick little recap. Radium is a radioactive element discovered by Pierre and Marie Curie. Now, at this time, they figured out it had a legitimate use as a cancer treatment, which it was treating cancers really well. And because people thought, well, if radium can treat cancer, it can't be bad for you. So it was used as medicine. And we're going to talk about some of those crazy medicines. Now, again, at this time, it was like they didn't know a lot of the dangers of radium, even though the experts knew it was dangerous. Like, Pierre Curie actually gotten some radiation burns from radium, and he was a little bit afraid of it. Is that what Marie Curie would, like, carry in her pockets and stuff? Yeah, and she would get radiation burns from the radium. And he was so afraid of it, he said, like, if there was ever a, a kilogram of radium together in one place, it would probably cook you if you were in the same room as it. So they knew about the dangers of radium, but it was popular, it was new, it was fancy. There was a truly shitty song in 1904 called The Radium Dance. It is a plinky piano thing that was a, also a hit tune. Anyway, radium, want to hear some of the uses they had for it? Is it the same uses as essential oils? Yeah. Hmm. Exact same uses as essential oils. <laughs> so bear in mind, not that I have a whole problem with essential oils, because... I have a holistic problem with essential oils. I mean, I like them because they made my classroom smell better, and some of them did make me a little mm -hmm. calmer, but they probably definitely yeah. can't treat your cancer by themselves. Yeah, okay, essential oils, their being cures dates back to when we thought disease was caused by bad smells, which is bullshit, and essential oils are mostly bullshit. So anyway, let's talk about radium. So some of the uses they had, uh, they'd have radiation spas, where you'd bathe in radioactive water, get radioactive face scrubs, be covered in radioactive powder, and you'd be sent out glowing, literally, from your treatments. Uh, also, uh, bear, bear in mind, radium is expensive as fuck because it was so difficult to process and refine. It was, at the time, $100,000 a gram. Okay. Which, in today's money, is several million dollars a gram. Through the like, entirety of this book, Bear in mind that the amount of radium that these women worked with through their entire careers in all of these plants was between 10 to 30 grams total during the entire time this takes place. So these are minute amounts of radium. Radiation spas, it was used as a food additive. They had special pitchers that had radium lining them. So when you put water in it, it become radiation water and you drink the radiation water, which was supposed to be good for you. It wasn't. It was also toothpaste which hilariously was <laughs> sold by a Dr. Alfred Curie, who was of no relations to Pierre and Marie Curie, but he did not specify that when he was advertising it. Was that his real name? Yeah. He was, he's got lucky as hell. It was used in makeup. It was in suppositories. Yep. And you want to hear the best one that I found? It was used as an impotence treatment. <laughs> it was a tiny amount of radium in a little wax rod that was shoved up your urethra to cure impotence. Let that sink in. I think I'll stick with my essential oils. Hilariously, the inventor of it did die of bladder cancer, probably from the radium. That was some of the uses of radium. And it also had some industrial uses. Like, And the biggest one was when mixed with certain other elements, it would glow all the time and was great for luminous paints which were of huge importance during the war effort in World War One, as watches so that people could coordinate things at night without having to like light things to look at their clocks and be shot at, and also as instrument dials on airplanes, which were so kind that, of important. That makes sense. If you have no idea this is really dangerous, that's a sensible use. It's a sensible use, but they did know it was dangerous. They just didn't know how dangerous it was yet. It's kind of like cigarettes for the first three quarters of the last century. Very similar, actually. There were three plants that were really in America at the time. There was the one in Orange, New Jersey, which was the United States Radium Company. They were the first one to open. Then there was also the Radium Dial Company in Ottawa, Illinois, which is the second big one. And there's also another factory in Waterbury, Connecticut, which we don't really talk about much. But the two big lawsuits has happened in Orange, New Jersey and Ottawa, Illinois. So. The paint they used in wash dials was painted by these young women, and they used a method called lip pointing on their brushes. They would take the luminous paint, apply it to their brush, point the bristles of their brush using their lips and tongues, and then paint with that. So it would have a nice fine point. Oh, damn. Yeah, so they were ingesting radium. 
it was the best method, even though other places used wooden styluses or glass rods or other things to paint them. This was just an econo economical way for the American painters that didn't waste a lot of radium. This was a prestigious job. It was skilled work because you had to be able to paint these fine dials and numbers on watches and instrument dials. But it was a good job for young women who didn't have to have any specialized schooling. They could go in, they were well paid, it was something respectable, they made a lot of money. And when is this? This was in the early 19th, this was around World War One. so. Okay. It was like 1911 to about 1938 is when this was taking place. Oh wow, that's a yeah. long time. Long time. It was a great job and it was fun because they would get to play with radium. It's like high school chemistry class. Like high school chemistry class. They would paint their faces with it. They would paint their nails with it. Some would even paint their teeth with it so their teeth would glow. I get that. That sounds mm -hmm. like fun. It was fun. And they would also wear their like fancy dress clothes to work. So that would, they'd go out at night, they'd have all of this like dust from the radium on their clothes and their clothes would be glowing. I can't think of very many of my students who wouldn't have done that given the opportunity. I mean, if I spill glitter on myself, which I do more often than I realize because I still have glitter showing up. I don't take it off because it makes me happy. And think about how insidious glitter is. Like when you spill glitter in your house or whenever you use glitter, it's everywhere forever. It's the same thing with this radium paint. Later when they were having like industrial safety inspections of these girls, they found that the radium dust got everywhere. Not just on their clothes, but on their skin, in their hair, in their ears, eyes, up their noses, even under their clothes and it was not easy to wash off. It would take several bathings for this radium dust to get off of their skin. The girls didn't know the danger about this. In fact, they were told explicitly that the radium was safe, what they do, this were doing it the best way, it couldn't hurt them, and if anything, it was good for their health. It would give them a healthy glow. <sighs> but the problem was these symptoms from radium and radium poisoning didn't show up for years. So these young women would come in, They'd work for a couple of years, they'd get married, they'd get another job, they'd move on and do something else, and it took years for these symptoms to start showing up. And when they started, they weren't major symptoms. I mean, they were painful symptoms. Painful, like tooth pain or joint pain were the first symptoms that would happen from radium poisoning. So stuff that was probably pretty common back then. Yeah, stuff that was pretty common. Remember, like, the first time you woke up and your back hurt because you weren't a teenager anymore? I was a teenager when that happened. A lot of them, when they woke up, it's like, oh, man, my hips sure hurt. Oh, I must be getting older. And they kind of ignore it for a while. Kind of like you on your 30th birthday. On my 30th birthday, I hurt my back. For the first time ever, he threw out his back on his 30th birthday. It was miserable. See me, I was 22 and made the mistake of washing my hands. That's why I haven't done it since. I mean, we need to talk to you about that. <laughs> Again, it was minor symptoms. Like one woman had a tooth pulled and she's like, oh cool, the pain is gone. But it didn't go away because the socket never healed. And eventually more and more teeth had to be pulled. Abscesses and lesions would form in their mouths. Their jaw bones would, get, would start to necrotize and their jaws would have to be removed. One woman, when she's having a dental exam, the doctor went to examine her jaw and just with the pressure of holding it, broke her jaw. That's not normal. And she actually ended up having to have her jaw removed. So that's like the bottom of your face is gone. Yeah, just like no more jawbone, which is not great. It's like in the grudge when that girl's jaw is ripped off and her tongue is hanging down to like her belly button. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. One doctor actually kept that woman's jaw after they had amputated and he kept it in a drawer because he had no idea what was causing this. Mm -hmm. And her jaw bone was radioactive enough, it actually ruined x-ray films in the same drawer as it. Doctors didn't know what was going on at this point and they didn't talk to each other about it. And a lot of times they didn't even tell the women what the diagnosis was because they didn't know what it was. One woman, the doctor diagnosed her with syphilis, but never told her that he had diagnosed her with syphilis, even though it wasn't syphilis and it would later be proven that she was in fact radium poisoning when they exhumed her body years later. I mean, things haven't changed that much for women as patients mm -hmm. today. There's one woman whose first complaint was a pimple on her face that kept getting worse and worse. In, within days, her entire face was black and necrotizing and she died. That sounds like one of the worst ways to die. Oh, th there are so many worst way to dies in this book. Like it is horrifying. These were vibrant young women who had no idea what was wrong with them. And no, even like experts didn't know what was happening. Like, did they talk at all about if they had kids? Some of them did have kids actually, but it was many of them were incapable of having kids. And some of them had kids who had severe health problems later in life or throughout their entire lives. It's just 
long-lasting problems from the radium industry. So, and of course, at this time, treatment was expensive. They made good money at this job, but not enough to cover their medical expenses. So I was thinking, as opposed to now, where medical treatments are so inexpensive. There wasn't really insurance at this point. They were just paying for all of this out of pocket. They didn't know what was wrong with them, and there was near constant doctor's visits. And again, the doctors weren't really communicating with each other. One dentist noticed a bunch of his patients were having this problem, and he realized they were all radium workers. But most of the communication was through the women themselves who were keeping in touch. And they would talk to each other, and they'd have these health problems, and they'd know that, you know, Jane had been having this problem, or Mary had been sick, and they had a similar problem. So they started talking to their doctors about it. Finally, they campaigned enough, and the doctors campaigned enough, that the uh, United States Radium Company, industrial safety people, did finally investigate them. But the law was completely protecting the radium company. Shocking. Was, yeah, it was all in place to protect them and not actually protect the workers. So the laws of time were just to keep, make sure that they would stay in business and <laughs> be profitable. Makes, every time you say at the time, I'm like, and now. It's even worse than now. And so at first, the doctors thought this was, there'd been a similar problem where people's jaws were rotting and their teeth were falling out from phosphorus poisoning. And they thought, oh, there must be phosphorus in the paint. That's what's causing this. There was no phosphorus in the paint. And so... At first, that's what they used as their big defense. It's like, oh, it can't be the radium, and there's no phosphorus in this, so it's not an industrial accident. Something else must be happening. These women must be in poor health. And, of course, at the time, the company attacked the women and spread rumors about them all having syphilis because one of the women that had died had been diagnosed with syphilis. So clearly, they all had syphilis. Mm -hmm. However, the United States Radium Company did their own investigation, and their investigation found that, in fact, radium was dangerous, Radium was the cause of this, and they tried their best to cover up all of that information. It did eventually get out, and there was some, a big fuss, but there was a statute of limitation for industrial safety things that was two years. And by the time these, these symptoms were manifesting in these women, it had already been two years. So there was past the statute of limitations for them to get any type of compensation from the company. And lots of early lawsuits were not even taken up by lawyers because of the statute of limitations, and there was no point in going forward with it. Ugh, statutes of limitations piss me right off. But then there was one doctor, Dr. Harry Maitland, who decided to go further and investigate this. He did autopsies of the dead women. He found radium in their bones, and which they tested it by burning their bones to ash and then testing them in pure fun. They were able to find radium that way. They would wrap them in x-ray film, and it would mess up the x-ray film, which can only happen with this way, with radiation. They even measure their breath because there was enough radium in their bodies that when radium breaks down, it turns into radon gas. There was enough radium in the bodies. There was measurable amounts of radon in their breath. This is years after they were exposed to it. Years after. I'm going to do a quick little breakdown of radiation. There's three types of rays that are generally given off by radioactive elements like radium. There's alpha rays, which are like full-on neutrons and particles being shot off of these radioactive elements. They can be blocked by cloth or paper. They're slow-moving but large and destructive, but again, easy to block. Then there's beta rays, which can be blocked by thin sheets of metal, and gamma rays, which are harder to block, but they pass through so quickly they generally don't do a lot of damage. Well, the uh, workers at the time who were doing processing and all this stuff with the radium, they were wearing lead aprons, they were having limited exposure to it, because they knew it would cause radiation burns, and they knew about the different rays and how to block them. But they never thought about the problems of internal radiation. Internal radiation has nothing blocking it. And they also found out that your body treats radium the same way it treats calcium. So when these women would lip dip their paintbrushes, they were getting small doses of radium in their bloodstream, which would be deposited in their bones, like their jaws, their teeth, their hips, all of these places where they were having these problems was this radium being deposited in there and shooting off all of these radioactive waves with no protection at all. And it was killing their bone marrow, breaking their bones. It was rotting the tissue around wherever these radio this radium was deposited. And there was no cure. Radium has a half-life of 1,600 years, so it's not going to decay out of your body. These bodies are still radioactive to this day, and they will be for generations and generations to come. At this time, many of these women were not told that this diagnosis was fatal. Some of them were. Many of them didn't learn that this was fatal and uncurable until they were in court and the doctors were testifying about them. Fucked up. So let's get to the, fir the first lawsuit was finally reached. 
where one lawyer determined that the statute of limitations would not apply until the symptoms started showing up, which was several years after, and they got it accepted because there had been a big, big stink about this. It had been in newspapers, and this was a, it's like these poor young women were dying from radium poisoning with something they were told were safe. And the company had tried to cover up the fact that they figured out it wasn't safe. And they didn't fully implement all of these safety measures for the future workers. Awesome. Oh, also, the United States Raven Company also had a doctor, in air quotes, working for them. He'd been sending letters to people saying that they were fine, that their tests were fine. He was a doctor of philosophy. and <laughs> Like Ross Geller. Like Ross. No, he was a doctor of paleontology. That's a Same PhD. Same damn thing. That's a PhD. Yeah. Doctorate of philosophy, not a medical doctor. And in fact, in Waterbury, Connecticut, he had been leaving these suits and settlements with them, claiming he was a doctor, leading their treatments, saying everything was safe for years. Nice guy. Yeah, nice guy. So they were they were trying to protect their profits, not their workers. So five women sued. There's Albina and Quinta, Grace Fryer, Catherine Schwab, and Edna Hussman. These five women sued the radium company and tried to prove that they knew that radium was dangerous. They did not do anything to protect the workers. And even Dr. Von Jerhotsky, who had studied under the Curies, knew radium was so dangerous. It was so da- He knew it was so dangerous, in fact, that some had gotten into his finger while he was working with it, and he immediately hacked the tip of his finger off. Whoa! That's how dangerous this was. Another fun fact. These women's lawsuits had been getting nowhere for years until a man who had been working in the processing part of the plant had finally died of similar symptoms to them. So the, Then it finally went somewhere. So between my story and yours, we're learning that men are awesome. Yep. Fucking Puritans. <laughs> awful, awful stuff. Lots of propaganda. They were fighting it. The company's insurance company was fighting this. They are pulling out every dirty trick in the book in this trial. And again, read Radium Girls because this would be a five-hour-long podcast if I was talking about all of this. So eventually, when it looked like they were about to lose the trial, they started delaying it in hopes that these very sick women would die and the suits would drop. But they eventually ended up settling, these five women. So they got their medical treatments paid for, large amount of compensation, like, you know, future studies. And, of course, the company fought them on every single claim they did in this. This trial was big news at the time, and they didn't want to make a big enough stink. So, But while all this was on the news, we're talking about the other company in Ottawa, Illinois, the painters were in a panic there because they had been opened more recently, and none of them had started having these symptoms yet. There were some people who had like bad teeth or joint pain, but nothing huge, so they didn't think it was full-on radium poisoning that was like literally breaking them apart. They were falling to pieces. So the company did their own private tests. Never told the women who worked there the results, <laughs> but they published an, a full-page article in the newspaper saying that they were all fine and that it was the radium that the, the other company was using that was the problem. They used a different isotope of it, and it wasn't as pure radium. So it was this different isotope that was causing the problem, not the pure radium like they used here. And of course, also this time, they changed a lot of the laws to cover like radium jaw necrosis, but not all of the other stuff. And again, they changed the statute of limitations still, but whereas still it was worthless and there would be no recourse for any of these women. Yeah, you had to already be dying to be able to do anything. Yeah, and again, they did not make any safety precautions. This company did try to institute a glass stylus to paint with instead of the brushes, but the painting was slower and less accurate with it, and the girls were paid by the dial. Oh, God. So they just stopped using it. So then, you know, some symptoms started to show up in these women, too. One woman actually had to have her arm amputated because it was starting to get lesions and big growths on it and sarcomas, and that's where most of her radium had gathered in her body. They hacked off her arm, and it saved her life. And at this point, a second lawsuit is filed. They had several other lawsuits that had failed, but then Catherine Donahue launches her lawsuit. She was in horrible shape from the radium poisoning. Her jaw was horribly fractured. It was like in tiny fragments in her face. She had lost most of her teeth. Her spine broke, and one of her legs broke while she was walking down the street. So she had a metal brace on her leg and a metal back brace. At the time of the trial, she weighed 71 pounds and could barely move around on her own. In fact, she was in such poor health that the trial had to be finished in her house. At this point, the company had moved out of Illinois to New York, and so they were having a just like cross-state lions, awful trouble trying to get money out of them. But they had left a $10,000 deposit with the Illinois 
industrial commission for safety reasons because no insurance company would insure them for claims anymore after the New Jersey case. So they were having to prove like liability for themselves. Now, this is interesting. The company's defense in this entire case, they didn't bring in any witnesses, no experts. Their entire defense was that radium was not poisonous because this new law only covered poisons. And they determined that radium was in fact not a poison. Okay. Even though in an earlier lawsuit, they claimed that radium was a poison. Shockingly, they ended up losing this case eventually. <laughs> Again, but not after just a lot of sheer dickishness and very brave testimonial from a dying woman who could barely speak. Also, she didn't know that this was fatal until the trial. She's the one. She actually like broke down in hysterics when the doctor had to testify that no, this was going to kill her, and she was in the final stages. They hadn't told her until that point. This is the woman with the broken back? Yeah. Her doctor didn't tell her she was dying. No, they wanted to spare her the trouble. <laughs> I know, what the fuck? I feel like I make fun of the jazz age a lot, but I feel like this is definitely justified. What the fuck? Yeah, please spare me the trouble of knowing I'm dying so I don't have to worry about getting my affairs in order and making sure mm -hmm. that, you know, if I have kids that they can be taken yeah, care of. Yeah, she had three children. Oh, God. Was her husband still around during Her husband was still around. But at this point, this was in the 1930s, during the Great Depression. So her husband had been unemployed for a large portion of this. This is the most depressing story. It's so depressing. So, and of course, the, the radium dial company appealed this eight times. So her payment and settlement was delayed by years until they finally paid out. Catherine did finally die. She weighed 61 pounds at the time of her death. That is like the combined weight of our cats. Yeah. The story doesn't end there. That was like a big case setting up like, all of these industrial safety standards. And really, it was the first time that a company had been found liable in a case like this and had to pay out two people. So this is a big deal. You know, it was a legal precedence for your employer having to provide safe working conditions. Mm -hmm. A lot of good things happened. Like in the Manhattan Project, originally they were not taking many safety precautions, but one doctor who was familiar with this case decided we're going to do an intensive study on plutonium and uranium before we do anything. And they figured out that plutonium would have acted very similar to radium. So they introduced very strict and mandatory safety precautions with the Manhattan Project that probably saved thousands of lives. And also, because of this case and what we know now about the nature of radiation, we stopped above ground nuclear testing because it put a radioactive element into the air that spread all over the planet. And also, this was the only real study of the effects of radiation exposure on humans. These women and the hundreds of women who had worked at these plants went in for studies and it is just a depressing list of the dead. All like so many of them had sarcomas, died of breast cancer, had limbs amputated from this, from like radium poisoning, lost teeth, infertility. These women were still alive up until some of them lived into their 90s with all of these problems. So some wow. of these women were alive until very recently, like 20 years ago. And also, the, these sites where they were processing the knowledge painting were dangerously radioactive. Some buildings were destroyed and torn down, and like the fill is used in fill-in locations, and you could trace patterns of high cancer rates in neighborhoods around these for years. And of course, these companies pledged they'd help clean up, but never did, and the EPA ended up having to do it. And these sites are still being cleaned. And we have spent hundreds- They will hundreds... be for the next 1600 years. I mean, you can like, cleaning these sites basically means we're gonna take all of this dirt away, sometimes as deep as 15 feet, and move it someplace away from people. So the ocean? There's some sites like out in Nevada where we're burying radioactive waste in a geologically safe area where there aren't any people around. Again, it's not an ideal solution, but it's the one we got. So that is story of the radium girls and the still ongoing effects of these radium paints. So they had children and some of the kids had health problems. Mm -hmm. Were the health problems similar to the ones their parents no, had? Um, and... uh, for example, um, Catherine Donahue's, her youngest daughter was always just had chronic health problems that they think was related to the radiation she was exposed to and in utero. What about their husbands and things? Anything happened to them? Yeah, there's um, actually some cases of secondary exposure where the men also died from being around the radium dust that their wives were bringing back home with them. So are you ready for some questions? No, I want to go cry. Yeah, me too. We should have we should have thought this out better. I should have. This is a bummer. So, will the various radium cures be on the test? What's the test over? Is it over this specifically, or? 
I don't know, just anything in general. Will your will uh, will radium suppositories ever be on a test? <laughs> Probably not. No. Oh, you're talking about the actual methods of the things they were supposed to cure. Basically how radium was the essential oils of the 19-teens. I kind of feel like if you're in an advanced chemistry class, this stuff might show up, but in a general K-12 through education, it won't. No. Will the fact that the laws were rewritten initially to protect companies and not the over the employees be on the test? Yes. Will necrotic jaws be on the test? Yes. Will that be really disgusting? It doesn't matter what age you are, but I'm just imagining my middle schoolers reacting to that. Because, like, again, I can even go into depth on this. Like, one woman, she was having a tooth pulled, and a chunk of her jaw came out with it. I had a tooth pulled because a dentist messed it up so bad that it broke three times after they messed it up because it was fine. And that was traumatic enough listening to just the tooth that I knew would be, my, I knew my jaw would be fine get pulled out. I can't imagine existing after dealing with this. Yeah. And Catherine Donahue, she claimed that it was her fighting Irish spirit that was keeping her alive. They were shocked she lived as long as she did. She was just too pissed off to die. She she sounds great. She was pretty again, read this read this book. These women were phenomenal women. Will the fact that people are still dying from the radiation in these sites from a hundred years ago be on a test? I think that's kind of a regional question and an age question because you won't want to teach that necessarily in those areas, especially to younger kids because it will scare them. Oh, please. It scares me as an adult. I feel like if there's a place near them that will have signs, you can't not address it. Yeah. <sighs> as long as it's on the allowed curriculum. <laughs> but that's off topic. That was the most depressing story I've ever heard. Dude. And I listen to murder podcasts. Dude, history is so depressing. I mean, that's part of why we started this podcast is yeah. we realized how much stuff we never learned. And we knew that we knew history, we knew humanity was fucked up. We knew that we've done a lot of shitty and shady things as a whole. We didn't go into depth with a lot of things. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously I learned about radiation growing up, but never heard a word about this. Yeah. It was just radiation is bad. Don't lick radium. The author actually goes into this in her book about like, she only heard about this because there was a play that she directed that was about the doctors and lawyers that help these women. But she wanted to know about these women. So she came to America and did the only real research into them by talking to their families. And she came to America, she went to these sites, she did the hard research, she talked to their families, she read their personal correspondence that their families had kept, and it was, Radium Girls is a great book. You should absolutely read Radium Girls. What did you learn about Tichiba? That she wasn't black. Yeah, I mean, she was dark-skinned, and there's some belief that she might have been half black, but she was most likely Venezuelan and native. Wild. Just like I, Again, I'm just thinking back to... I mean, you some projection of the of the crucible I must have seen where she was like she was played by the stereotypical mammy and everything oh, I saw. That yeah, was she was she was problematic. The one like not painting like sketch that exists of her and it's obviously not from the time. She actually has like feathers in her hair and stuff, so oh. she's clearly supposed to be more Native American or Native. I guess it's South American, so yeah, Native yeah. American. But yeah, when I saw images from productions, it was definitely portrayed as a mammy character. What did you learn? Do you need a hug? <laughs> a little bit. Says it, come here. Yes. We he, need does, cats. he doesn't hug me because of my radiation poisoning. It's true. But he'll let me touch the cats. You're a horrible person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've always kind of known that, especially in companies where women were the primary employees, the safety conditions were typically worse. And that does continue to today. I had never heard about this at all. I didn't even know, like, how they made things glow in the dark back then. So. Yeah, they made things glow in the dark with radiation. Isn't Good old healthy radiation. Doesn't phosphorus do that too? Phosphorus does that too. But it's but a short time. It's a short time. It's like, it just, it absorbs light and like, shoots it out somehow. I'm not sure about the chemistry of it. But this was uh, radiation from the radium interacting with, I think it was calcium sulfide in the paint. That just made it luminous. I think your story is like the worst thing I've ever heard, honestly. Yay! I'm sorry. So do we have a happy note to end things on today? No, we don't. Just wallow in sadness with us. Until next week. So never mind. Let's, I hope we find something happy. Yeah, because history is known for being happy. There's been something wacky I've been sitting on. Although, I, I mean, Pliny the Elder was great. 
Play the Elder Wisdom one. Maybe I can just go Plenty, Plenty Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. And, I mean, the indoor ship battles was kind of just, I mean, horrific things happened because yep. they were killing people. Yep. But Maybe we need to get out of America and Europe and, like, explore the rest of the world. There are other parts of the world. Okay, this may shock you, but there's this entire continent called Asia. You may have heard of it from the game Risk. I thought Asia was a myth. I know Antarctica is a myth. Um, Antarctica is just the wall of ice around our flat planet that the aliens put there as part of their dome to study us. I had a dream that Antarctica... You know, you guys know that commercial for the World Wildlife Federation where it's the sad polar bear that's on the ice? In my dream, that's all Antarctica was, was one floating piece of ice. But for some reason... The entire world has conspired to make you believe there's a seventh continent. <laughs> and so if you were to actually go there, it's just a piece of ice that if you get on it, it flips over. So Antarctica's a myth. <laughs> oh, your dreams are crazy. This is a real long podcast. We were worried this was going to be short. I guess that's it for this week. We will yak at y'all next week. Uh, follow us. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the test pod. We are also on Twitter at on the test pod. All right. And on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.